Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today. Now, we've been getting great feedback on our podcasts, and I'm thrilled that you're making Open Your Eyes part of your inspiration time each week. If you want to find the home channel for Open Your Eyes, go to openyoureyes.org. And if you enjoy a podcast, don't forget to leave a review and share the link with your friends. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the role of luck in your life and how you can become lucky. In 1843, the Oregon Trail was the newest road in North America. It extended from Missouri to Oregon. It was a dusty wagon trail that would be used by thousands of people who were seeking greater wealth and freedom. And if you were headed to Utah or California or Oregon, you use this trail. Now, among those traveling on the Oregon Trail that year were Ole and Marin Peterson. In 1857, they left Denmark, their life, their family, and came to America. Ole, Marin, two older boys, and a new baby, Anna Christina. They followed the Oregon Trail for the last 1,400 miles of their journey. Now, the Petersons couldn't afford a team of horses or oxen, so instead, they teamed up with 80 other families who would travel the dusty, muddy trail, pushing a wooden cart containing food and bedding. They averaged 10 to 12 miles of walking a day. Now, the wooden cart had a long handle that extended in front of the cart, and Ole would typically push the cart from the front using that handle, while Marin would push the cart from behind. The conditions were pitiful. The carts carried limited supplies, so the pioneers were exposed to the elements, carried only the minimum amount of food, and relied on the hope of finding animals along the way to eat and supply stations to buy food. And if anything went wrong or delayed their journey, the consequences were harsh and certain. One out of every 20 people on the trail, died. Ole wrote in his journal one day, June 24th, traveled about 18 miles, very faint from the lack of food, only allowed about three quarters of a pound of flour each day, made a child's coffin today, aged two and a half years. Ole used to say as they struggled through the dust, look up. When you look up, you see the horizon. When you look down, you just see the dust settle. Weeks into their journey, their oldest son, Soren, died. And when they reached the Wyoming border in early September, little Anna Christina became sick with dysentery. She was so tiny, she had lost so much weight. She turned white as a ghost, and she finally passed away. Her mother was beyond heartbroken. Marin blamed herself. She couldn't find peace. And to make matters worse, they were in Indian territory and could not stop to dig a grave in the frozen ground to bury the baby. Marin couldn't leave her child. She knew that the prairie wolves would devour her little body. But finally, they wrested the baby from Marin's grip, wrapped it in a blanket, and left it beneath a prairie bush. And they moved on. At dusk later that day, they stopped to make camp. Marin fed her son and laid down to sleep under the cover of the small cart. There was no sleep. Soon she got up, and in the cover of darkness, she crept back the six miles to find the body of her precious baby. 
Now, before the morning sun rose, Oli and others noticed that Marin was gone. And as they prepared to search for her, Marin walked into camp holding her baby. And more importantly, the baby was alive. When Marin found her, she was breathing. Anna Christina and the rest of the Petersons would survive the journey. And by the way, Oli and Marin Peterson are my great, great, great grandparents. Now, I've thought about their story often. Were they lucky to have survived the journey? Marin was fortunate to have found Anna Christina alive. But why were they lucky, and why were others not as lucky? Years ago, Alfred Bandura, a Stanford psychologist, studied the effect of chance encounters and luck on people's lives. He described how Ronald Reagan met his wife, Nancy. Nancy Davis noticed her name was on a list of communist sympathizers that had been printed in a Hollywood newspaper. Nancy knew she wasn't that, and her name didn't belong on the list. And she was concerned about the impact it might have on her career, so she asked her director to talk with the president of the Screen Actors Guild, Ronald Reagan. And Reagan and Davis got together to discuss the matter further. They fell in love and were married. Was this a chance encounter? Maybe. And we could probably all describe chance encounters that have led to good outcomes in our lives. You know, following 9-11, Deborah Kahn volunteered at Ground Zero. She did it because some of her fellow firefighters had not returned from 9-11, and she felt a duty. Lieutenant Timothy Higgins was one of those from her hometown who never returned. And she said, I felt Timmy's presence during those dark moments, guiding me along every path. Working inside of the burning piles, I met a fire marshal named Steve. And I told him I was from Freeport. Steve said he'd been a firefighter with a guy from Freeport. I asked too, and he replied, Tim Higgins. She would go on to marry Steve. Now, you could argue all of these examples are simply examples of people who got lucky. Or you could argue that in every example, whether it's Marin going back after her baby or Nancy proactively getting her name off a list or Deborah inspired to volunteer, it was the person's actions that resulted in lucky outcomes. Years ago, Dr. Richard Wiseman and his team conducted some interesting research on lucky people. What they found is that lucky people weren't just lucky some of the time, they were consistently lucky. And likewise, unlucky people were consistently unlucky. And this caused the researchers to ask the question, what causes some people to be lucky and others not? So they put their research to the test. They surveyed 700 people. Some of the 700 rated themselves as lucky and the others unlucky. Then they presented the opportunity to buy a lottery ticket to those same people. In the end, about the same number of lucky people won something in the lottery as unlucky people. So it wasn't simple chance that made someone lucky. Then they tested the population as to their level of intelligence. Interestingly, unlucky people were just as smart as lucky people. And on they went through their research, eliminating one factor after another. Then, some hidden secrets about lucky people began to emerge. And these secrets were fascinating. Here's what they learned. Lucky people constantly encounter chance opportunities. They accidentally meet people who have a beneficial effect on their life. 
And in contrast, unlucky people rarely had this experience. Next, they noticed that lucky people made better decisions. They also noticed that lucky people had an uncanny knack of making their dreams a reality. They learned that being lucky or being in the right place at the right time had everything to do with being in the right state of mind. For example, some lucky people entered more drawings. And because they saw themselves as lucky, they participated more. And because they participated more, they won drawings more than others. The same was true for actions outside of drawings or lottery. Lucky people were more extroverted and tended to meet a larger number of people. And as a result, they were exposed to more ideas and opportunities. They had more contacts, more exposure, and as a result, more fortune in their life. So Wiseman did another experiment. He had a group of researchers watch videotapes of study participants in interviews. The researchers had no idea who the lucky and unlucky people were, but the researcher's job was to count the number of times the person in the video smiled, made eye contact, and noted certain gestures that they made as well. The result was remarkable. The lucky people smiled twice as much as unlucky people. They had open body language rather than closed, and they were skilled at engaging others in a conversation. So the researchers then applied the Big Five personality test and found something else interesting. Lucky people were more extroverted and more open. Now, extroverts are very outgoing and talkative, and they enjoy meeting people and spending time with them. And as a result, they had a larger number of chance encounters. They followed these lucky people and learned that they were skilled at building lasting relationships as well and staying in touch with people. They were easy to get to know, and usually they connected with a large number of people quickly. The next thing the researchers noticed is that lucky people tend to be open and less stressed about what's happening around them. A simple example, both lucky and unlucky people go to a networking event seeking to find potential clients, let's say. The lucky person is open and at ease, not stressed about meeting people. Why? because they believe they're fortunate, so they stress less and are approachable and inviting. But the unlucky people are stressed about finding the client they're looking for before time runs out, and that stress is evident in their behavior. And they're looking for a particular type of person that fits their profile. And this compares to the lucky person who's open to meeting a lot of different kinds of people. One lucky person in this study says when they go to a party, they choose a color at random, before they walk into the room, and they purposefully speak to people who are wearing that color, thus leaving the opportunity to meet people to chance. The researchers described being open to new things like this. Imagine you are living in the center of a large apple orchard, and each day you have to venture out into the orchard to collect a large basket of apples. And for the first few days, it doesn't matter if you stay close because the apples are plentiful. But as the days go on, it's more difficult to find apples in the places you've looked before. And the more you return to the same location, the fewer apples you find. But if you decide to go to parts of the orchard you haven't visited before, the chances of finding apples will be increased. Thus, by venturing out, you improve your opportunities for success. 
And in the end, the researchers concluded there were four primary skills that could turn an unlucky person into a lucky person. The first skill is to maximize your chance opportunities. You see, quite often we don't see opportunities because we're too focused on looking for something else. And as a result, we pass by those opportunities. For example, in speaking about this, one man said one day he was walking down the street and a payphone started to ring. He decided to answer the phone. It was a wrong number for someone else. And he said, I was enamored by the angelic voice of the girl on the other end of the line, and we spoke for what seemed like hours. She was from Iowa, I from Florida, and I was spending the summer in the New Mexico mountains. And I immediately knew that I wanted to know more about her. We exchanged letters, we became pen pals, and six months later, I traveled to the Midwest to meet my mystery girl. It was love at first sight, and in September, we will celebrate our 30th anniversary. Now, if you were walking down the street, would you be so focused on your thoughts or agenda that you wouldn't answer the phone when you heard it ringing? Are there opportunities in the people you meet, the friends you have, what you read today, or other encounters that come your way that you miss? because you're not open? Well, perhaps it's time to try something new in your life. What if you wrote down a list of things that you felt prompted to try, but haven't tried, and for the next few weeks, at some point, each week, you did one of the things on that list? What might happen? Well, at a minimum, you may learn something you didn't know before or meet someone new, right? But why don't we do this? Well, most of us are uncomfortable or afraid, right? But it is that hesitancy that keeps us from being lucky and finding new, fulfilling things in our life. So, maybe rate yourself. How apt are you to try new things, to consider new opinions, to go to a party where you have no friends, or join a group that would be outside of your comfort zone? How often do you take a chance on someone or risk embarrassment? Or have you fallen into the routine in life, preferring the comfort of the routine versus the disruption of having the faith to try new experiences? Studies have proven that people who are open to new experiences have significantly higher intelligence, sustained commitments to achieve goals, higher reading ability, improved reasoning, better dream recall, happiness, positive effect, and quality of life. Next, Wiseman and his researchers found that people who have more fortune listen to their hunches. Sue Hendrickson grew up in Munster, Indiana, a town of about 9,000 households. While a good student in school, she often found herself bored. And at the age of 16, she talked her parents into letting her stay with her aunt in Florida. An adventurous and rebellious teenager Sue dropped out of high school at age 17, and she got a job diving for tropical fish to sell to pet stores. Then she got a job working as a lobster fisherman, and one day she was recruited as part of a salvage diving expedition off the Florida Keys. She felt drawn to this work, so she followed her hunch, and this led to exploring shipwrecks, and one hunch after another led her to the study of paleontology. And she found that she had a love of all things prehistoric and loved the chase and discovery of it. 
So she followed another hunch and followed a friend to the Black Hills Institute in South Dakota. One day, Sue and a few friends were searching for fossils at the Cheyenne River Indian Reservation in western South Dakota. Weeks earlier, they had discovered Entomosaurus bones, and they were searching for more of those bones, but with no success, and they were preparing to leave. However, a flat tire delayed their departure, so Sue had a hunch to explore the nearby cliffs that the group hadn't explored. And she figured she had time to do it, so off she went. She was walking the base of the cliff and discovered some pieces of bone on the ground. As she looked up to see the source of the bones falling to the ground, she saw some larger bones protruding from the wall of the cliff. Soon after alerting the team, they discovered one of the most complete T-Rex skeletons ever discovered. The paleontologist group would eventually name the T-Rex Sue. And that T-Rex, named Sue, would be over 90% complete, the most complete T-Rex ever found. Now, the team cut big sections of the earth containing the bones and covered those mounds of earth with plaster paris. And these plaster pods of dirt were taken to the Field Museum Lab in Chicago. And with funding from McDonald's and Disney, Sue, the dinosaur, was separated from the dirt. And Sue, the dinosaur, was 28 years old at the time of death. She was 42 feet long, 13 feet tall, and weighed an estimated 14 ton. Ten years later, the casting of Sue and her bones was unveiled. And today, that specimen is world famous, worth $30 million, and is still one of the most remarkable dinosaur finds ever. All because Sue Hendrickson followed a hunch. Now, in studying the role of intuition in lucky people, researchers learned that lucky people have a strong sense of intuition, and most importantly, they follow that intuition much more frequently than unlucky people. They found that when an intuitive thought crossed their mind, lucky people were more apt to pay attention. And when the researchers searched for the reason why they paid attention, they soon found that lucky people spend more time deliberately thinking, pondering, and even meditating. You see, they were used to listening to their inner voice. Now, the next thing researchers learned is that lucky people expect good fortune. Now, let's imagine that you're feeling down and apprehensive because you've just moved into a new neighborhood and the prospect of making new friends is difficult at best. So you go to a fortune teller and in telling your fortune, the fortune teller says that in a few months you will be surrounded by friends. Reassured by the prediction, you return home feeling happy and confident about your future. And as a result, when you see your neighbors, you smile more because they may be the friends predicted. And you behave in ways that greatly increases the likelihood of making friends. You reach out to your neighbors, you stop to get to know them, you go out of your way to meet them. And soon you find that you are indeed surrounded by friends. Research has shown that these types of self-fulfilling prophecies have the power to affect many areas of our life. Here's another example. Let's say you're going on a blind date and you expect it to go well because your friend who arranged the date said he's going to like you and he's excited to meet you. 
Empowered by this impression, when you sit down opposite your date, you smile. Your date sees you smile and correctly assumes that you're pleased to see him. So because he feels more positively towards you, he smiles. And this smile reinforces your presumption. And all of this happens before anyone says a word. This is a simple example of how our expectation can create reality. John Wood earned his master's degree from the University of Colorado and an MBA from the prestigious Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern. And after graduation, he took a job with his dream company, Microsoft. He was a rising executive at Microsoft when he took a vacation to Nepal. And while trekking in the country, he met a resource director and visited a primary school with about 450 children. Wood was taken back at the lack of resources in the school, especially books. There were no books. And when Wood was leaving after the visit, the school headmaster said, perhaps, sir, you will someday come back with books. This statement worked inside John Wood like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And soon, John would send an email to friends requesting book donations. And one year later, he returned to the school with 3,000 books, all donated by his friends and family. Soon, taken with the feel of the project, he left his job at Microsoft entirely to devote himself full-time to Books for Nepal, a side project. And that side project has turned into his successful nonprofit, Room to Read. To date, Room to Read has led over 2,300 school infrastructure projects, opened 18,000 libraries, and built over 1,000 schools. All because a fortunate statement was made by a school headmaster, and John Wood was lucky enough to feel inspired by it. Now, the last skill we can adopt to improve our tendency to be lucky is to get good at turning bad luck into good fortune. This enables us to have faith that good things will eventually happen. But this is a skill that must be developed. Now, much of this has to do with our perspective. For example, research suggests that athletes who win bronze medals are actually happier than those who win silver. Why? The silver medalists focus on the notion that they were only slightly below gold, and perhaps they could have won gold. The bronze medalists, however, see themselves as lucky because if they had performed slightly worse, they would not have earned a medal at all. Psychologists call this counterfactual thinking. This is our tendency to think about alternatives to past events. And these alternatives we think of do, in fact, guide our future behavior. Counterfactual thoughts have been shown to produce negative emotions and beneficial emotions. Thoughts of what could have happened can affect people's emotions, such as causing them to experience regret or guilt or relief or satisfaction. And lucky people tend to have counterfactual thoughts that err on the side of gratitude, such as, wow, wasn't I lucky to have gotten this? Or look how this has turned out in my favor. You see, when they reflect on life's events, they choose to remember, to focus on how they were blessed or how they were lucky. As the saying goes, two men look through the self-same bars, 
One saw mud, the other stars. Because lucky people see stars, they then constantly expect stars in their future. So how can we become people that see the blessings, the fortune in our past, and expect the same in our future? Well, the first thing we can do is reframe our past. Even if we've been thinking of our past in counterproductive ways, we can reframe our thinking. In the late 1960s, there was a young man who had a dream of becoming a famous musician. He had a recurring dream that he was playing to tens of thousands of people seated hundreds of feet above him. He knew it was his purpose to be a musician, and he had the talent. So he started with small gigs. He soon joined a band. And the band's direction, though, just didn't feel right. It wasn't his way of doing things. And he started drinking heavily, and he was depressed and stuck. Because he didn't have a place to live, he lived with the band's drummer and the drummer's wife. And soon, he started having an affair with the wife. The lifestyle, the dishonesty weighed on him, so much so that when the band broke up, he was left with nothing. He thought about ending his life. And in a half-hearted attempt to do so, he drank furniture polish and a bottle of vodka. The next day, very sick, he was admitted to an institution. But there, something happened. For the first time in a long time, he started to be thankful for what he had learned and realized that he was in a situation like never before. He was grateful for the chance to change. And three weeks later, he walked out a new man, excited about life, committed to his life's dream, but this time smarter, wiser, and filled with purpose. You see, he understood that he was not meant to be a piano player in a bar. He was a writer and a musician. At the institution, they had not given him any medication. The doctors hadn't performed any surgery. He had opened his eyes and remembered the latent talent within him and was grateful for what he had gone through. He said, I remembered my dream. I remembered that the person inside of me was much more talented than the person I had settled into. Three years later, he wrote a song called The Piano Man. And today, almost every person has heard of Billy Joel. And yes, on June 22nd, 1990, Billy played to a group of 90,000 people, all seated above him in the sky in Yankee Stadium. So, reframe your past. Reframe your thinking. How do we reframe? Well, first, think about and identify the positive side of your misfortunes, bad luck, or even bad decisions. This is extremely powerful. I've been on a head-on collision that was not my fault. And from that collision, I have chronic neck pain to this day. But what I choose to remember and value from the experience is what I learned about how I value my family and how I can forgive the driver who hit us. And for some reason, choosing the positive side empowers me to deal with my pain more productively. The next thing we can do is to adopt a mindset that ill fortune in your life will, in the long run, work out for the best. I have a friend that has saved all his life for retirement, and we both invested in the same investments, which were largely stocks. And he's getting close to retirement. And in the last few years, as the market went down severely due to COVID and other events in the economy, 
he assumed the worst and sold his stocks at the bottom of the market. Then he waited until the market had risen again to reinvest, losing about one-third of his investment portfolio. I tried to convince him to remain optimistic, to hold on to his investments, but his fixation on what he had lost directed his thinking and actions. Now he's working longer into retirement because he can't afford to retire. And this attitude applies to more than investing. Parents often assume that the current crisis with a child or their behavior or bad decisions will never change. But you know, my children often surprise me. And here's the thing. If you have problems in life, don't assume there is something wrong with you. Struggling with those problems is at the very core of life's purpose. As we have faith in our ability to persist, it will make us wiser and stronger. And if you're seeing more of your weaknesses right now, it just means you're getting stronger. And when it comes to our children, remember this. Each one of us has been given the power to change his or her life. And we can decide to do better and be better. And so can they. And each day that dawns can be a new day for us and them to change. We can change our environment. We can change our lives by substituting new habits for old. And we can mold our character and future by better thoughts and nobler actions. The power to change is very real. And I believe one of the greatest gifts from God. Now, the third way to reframe is this. Be constructive. The definition of constructive is to build upon, to improve, to create from what's existing. Too many of us don't value where we're starting. Even if you don't feel like today you have the foundation upon which to build, you do. When you reframe your thinking in this way, you start on the path of being more lucky. Even if you've made mistakes, see the good fortune in those mistakes. Recently, a Japanese immigrant wrote, A few years ago, I left Tokyo, Japan to live in a small town in Oklahoma. And after arriving in Oklahoma, one day, I took the bus to go shopping. but ended up with quite an armful of packages. And I thought it best to take a taxi home. Within a short time, it appeared that my ride had pulled over. So I gave the driver my address, and off we went. The driver even helped me carry my packages to my apartment. What do I owe you? I asked then in my broken English. Not a dime, miss, he replied with a big smile. I'm a police officer. I'm sure she now knows the difference between a taxi and a police car. You see, sometimes we get it wrong. We get in the wrong car. We get in the wrong marriage or team up with the wrong business partner. Don't dwell on what went wrong, but how you can build on it to make things better. Be constructive. In my opinion, there's a crisis of being constructive in our society today. We don't know how to see each other's differences and weaknesses and misstatements or mishaps and then use them to build. We have a tendency to tear down ourselves and each other and anyone who disagrees with us. And I don't believe lucky people do that. They stay above the fray, focused on what they can build on for good. Most mistakes lead us to better solutions. So as we end our time together today, remember my great, great, great grandmother, Marin Peterson. 
she took action to turn her misfortune to good. Remember that lucky people are in the game more often, they're extroverted, and they're open to new relationships and opportunities. And take a chance. Answer the payphone when it rings. Go to a party and talk to someone you otherwise wouldn't talk to. Follow more hunches. And like Sue Hendrickson, you may discover the find of your life. And reframe your past. Don't let the misfortunes that may have happened be your prevailing counterfactual thought. But see the blessings in what has happened. Reframing your expectations for the future. And most of all, remember that luck is in part believing that you are lucky. And the truth is that any of us who do something worthwhile secretly wonder whether we've achieved it because we were good or because we were lucky. And the truth is we were lucky. But luck depends on what we do and what we, in the end, think. So open your eyes to a new, luckier life. Thanks for being here today. And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.